We're going to be back in the book of John. John chapter 16, verses 16 through 33. John chapter 16, verses 16 through 33. That's where we are this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up there. If you don't, please bring them next week. But we will have the the passages up here on the screen. Uh, Before we get going this morning, I want to add one more announcement to the many announcements. And that is that uh, next Sunday, right before church... We're going to have our Sunday, our monthly uh, Sunday prayer time. Now, we did our first Sunday prayer uh, last month, and and it was sweet. It was really sweet. The conviction for me that led to this intentional, focused time of prayer for our church family is just this recognition that we are God's people. How can we not speak to Him? (laughs) I want to pray together as a church family, not just devotionally, not just to come to know and love God more, that's half of it, but the other half is so that we can ask Him to do the works that He promised that He would do. I want our church to be intentional and passionate about coming together to ask God to work in us and through us in the world. The reality is, if we do anything without His power, we shouldn't be doing it. We're taking His glory upon ourselves and we're doing it by our own might and we will burn ourselves out and we will fail. We need to pray. We need to pray to ask God to do what He wants rather than just work in this work of ministry to do what we want. So if you have your phone, and and you you do, you have your phone, take out your phone, make a a reminder, a monthly reminder on your phone to come to the prayer service before, uh, on the first Sunday of every month. Uh, Last last month was sweet, so please join us us this month. I was hoping you wouldn't ask. Um, <laughs> I, said, I said the wrong time the first week. Um, it is 8.30, right? Okay, it's 8.30. 8.30 to 9. Should I make no? It's 8.30. 8.30 to 9. Be there. Um, all right, thank you. All right. Back in the upper room. Last supper. Last chance Jesus is going to have to teach his disciples before he is crucified. I said this last week. It's, they're having dinner together, but before the sun comes up the next morning, Jesus is going to be in chains. And by the time the sun sets the next day, Jesus is going to be dead. The end of Jesus' life is right upon them, right now. And if we could sum up this entire conversation in one word, at least one of the words we might decide to use is the word preparation. Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for his death. He's trying to prepare his disciples for the persecution that's going to follow. And those are the negative things he's trying to prepare them for. Positively, he's trying to prepare them and tell them that because he's leaving, he's going to send the Spirit. That was the message last week. And then this week, he's trying to prepare them for something else, something beautiful and wonderful. And that is the reality of his coming victory and the intimacy that's going to come because of it. He's telling them of the victory that he's going to win over sin and death and the intimate relationship they are therefore going to share with God the Father. So this is a beautiful passage, and rather than setting it up more, let's just dive into it. I'm going to read verses 16 through 33, and then I'm going to pray, asking God to teach us through it. So here we go. John 16, 16 through 33. This is Jesus speaking. He says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me. 
and because I am going to the Father? So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Verse 19, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now. But I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one will say, sorry, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figures of speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own town, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Uh, Be free, let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are your words. You spoke them. Jesus spoke them. You inspired the author of this book, John, the apostle, to record them. And then you preserved them for us. And for all Christians throughout, throughout the centuries. Father, thank you for these words. I pray, Father, that we wouldn't just read these words and, and know more about you with our heads. Help us read these words and truly love you more deeply because of it. Show us the truth of this passage that we wouldn't see if we just skimmed past it. Because, Father, these are deep. There is a lot in this passage. And while we could spend hours going through it, Lord, show us the main message that you have us to take away today. And I pray that it would actually change the way we live as a result. Thank you, Lord. Changes this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, starting in verse 16 again. I'm going to read through 20. Jesus says, a little while and you will see me no longer. Again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, "Uh, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. 
And Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I mean by saying, A little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. (laughs) Jesus tells them that he's leaving again. He says it like this. He says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And then a little while and you will see me. He's leaving. He's coming again. But still, his disciples here don't seem to understand. They're still confused. They say, well, what is this that he's saying to us? And what does he mean by a little while? And we do not know what he's talking about. I'm a little baffled by this. Because over and over and over again, throughout this whole conversation, Jesus has made it abundantly clear that he's leaving. How could they still be confused about that? After week after week, well, for us, week after week, but for them... The conversation keeps coming back to the fact that Jesus is leaving and coming again. In fact, this is almost the exact same conversation they just had for them a couple minutes before in chapter 14. Where Jesus is going to his father's house. He's going to prepare a place for them. He's going to come back and take them to where he is. This is not new information. So we read this passage and immediately it doesn't put the disciples in a very good light. It makes the disciples look confused And out of step with what exactly is going on here. But Jesus knows that they're struggling with this. So this is what he says in verse 20. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. I want to be really clear right up front. Jesus here, he's talking about his death and his resurrection. He's not talking about his future ascension and the return that we're still waiting for. He's talking about the death and resurrection. We, we know that just by simply looking at the context of the rest of this conversation. When Jesus talks about his going to the Father, he's talking about his going in death. He's going to where they cannot come, to where they will follow afterward. That's chapter 14 again. So Jesus is going to his death. And while the world rejoices because they think they have killed a blasphemer, the disciples are going to be washed in sorrow. They're going to lament and mourn because their Lord has been killed. But then when he rises again, their sorrow will be turned to song. Their tears will be turned to triumph. Their mourning will be turned to joy. This is the message Jesus is telling them. This is how he's preparing them. Preparing them for his coming death and resurrection. But notice this isn't actually an answer to the question the disciples were asking. The disciples were looking for an explanation, but rather than giving them a clear explanation, what Jesus does here is he gives them a message of hope. And he does that by zooming out and getting a big picture here of what's actually going on. He's helping them look past the immediate short-term future to see the bigger picture. He wants them to look past the sorrow to see the joy that's coming down the road. The joy that will come when he raises again and his, their sorrow turns to song and their, their tears turn to triumph. And in order to help them understand this, he gives an illustration. He gives an illustration that not only helps them understand what he's talking about, but also under, really feel what he's talking about. Let's read the next couple of verses here, verse 21 and 22. It gives a powerful illustration. When a woman is giving birth 
She has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Now this illustration is something that anybody would understand who's ever been in a delivery room, most of all mothers. In fact, though, you don't even have to be in a delivery room to understand this illustration. You just have to know what the, what the Bible says. Because even at the very beginning of the Bible, book number one, the book of Genesis, it talks about childbirth, and it talks about the pain of childbirth being a direct result of the sin that's in the world. Even when you look through the Bible, at least in my Bible, I read the uh, English Standard Version, and when I look through my Bible, I find this word pang, P-A-N-G, pang. And it's only used to describe two things, death and childbirth. <laughs> childbirth on its own is a terrible thing. It's a description of the greatest pain that human beings can possibly know. But while the pangs of death offer no hope on the other side, apart from Jesus Christ, the pangs of childbirth offer a truly sweet reward, a truly sweet purpose. If we can put the next slide on the screen. Here she is. <laughs> that kid. There we go. I'm going to leave that there for a moment. When a woman is given birth, this is verse 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. For joy that a human being is being born into the world. The pain of childbirth is a terrible thing on its own, but when a mother plays in the leaves with her daughter, when a mother reads a book with her son and tucks him into bed, she's not thinking about the delivery room anymore. She's not thinking about the pain that happened before. She's too focused on the joy that's happening right now because the joy of the child outweighs the pain of the birth. So much so that most mothers decide to do it again. I can't, I, I can't understand that. You can take that down now. Jesus is leaving. And his leaving is going to be a terrible thing. Jesus is leaving is going to be the greatest tragedy the world has, has ever seen. The disciples are going to mourn in the face of it. And the disciples, they should mourn in the face of it. It will be terrible. But then Jesus is going to return. And the joy of his return is going to outweigh the pain of his departure. The greatest tragedy in the history of humanity is going to be eclipsed by the greatest victory in the history of humanity when Jesus Christ comes again. So much so that when Christians speak about the cross today, we don't speak about its tragedy, but we're too focused on its glory. We talk about the glory of the cross. We cry tears of joy when we think about the cross, not tears of sorrow. We boast in the cross rather than hanging our heads in the shame of the cross. And this illustration is so poignant, it's so strong, because we can understand through childbirth the joy that will come on the other side of the cross. Yes, Jesus is leaving, but he's telling his disciples that he is coming again. But now Jesus continues to talk about that day. That day after he raises again from the dead. So let's read verses 23 and 28 and see what he says about that day. 
Verse 23. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. So Jesus is leaving. Jesus is coming again. And here he's looking past his return to the day afterwards, or the age, or the time after his return. And as he's talking about that day, while there's a lot of words here, and a lot of truth packed into these couple verses, I think that we can sum up everything he's saying about this day in in two words. Two words that really get to the heart of verses 23 through 28. And it's this. Direct access. Direct access. On that day, followers of Jesus, the disciples today, you and me, will speak to the Father directly. On that day, we will know the Father plainly. Verse 25. All because Jesus left and returned. On that day, we will have direct access to God the Father. We can speak to Him directly. We can know Him plainly. All because Jesus died and rose again. Now, let me explain that. The reality is, God is holy. He is righteous. He is just. He is unlike us in every single... Well, we're not. God is holy, righteous, and just. While we, on the other hand, are sinful, we are broken, we are fallen... That sin that we have separates us from God. God is too holy and too righteous to be able to associate with sin. Because he's a good judge, if he sees sin, he can't let it go. He is going to punish that sin. So we can't have a relationship with God in our current state. To put it simply, our our sin is a wall between us and God, preventing a relationship with him. But the truly amazing thing is that even though that sin divides us from God, he wants a relationship with us. He loves us. He wants to be able to communicate with us and have a relationship with us yet again. So God decided in his love to do something about that division. He sent his son into the world. Because of his amazing, uh, incomprehensible love, he decided to send his son into the world. And Jesus, his son, took our sin, took the credit for our sin and put it on his shoulders. And when he was crushed on the cross, our sins were crushed too. When he was buried, our sins were buried, too. And when he was raised again from the grave, he left our sins in his grave and rose victorious over sin and death. The amazing, amazing, amazing truth is that if you trust in him, if you believe in Jesus Christ, the wall falls. The wall of sin that separates us from God falls. It's removed. And we can enter into relationship with God again. Because Jesus Christ is our representative. We are united with Jesus Christ. 
We can be in God's presence, not because all of a sudden we are good, but because all of a sudden God, Jesus' goodness is accredited to us. And because of Jesus and because of everything he did, we can have direct access to God. Verses 26 and 27, if we look at it carefully, states it very clearly and very plainly that we can speak to God the Father. Let me read these. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Because of Jesus, because of what he did, we can speak directly with the Father. And the same is true of simply knowing him. Because of Jesus, because of what he did, we can personally and intimately know the Father. This is verse 25. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. But now, the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech but will tell you plainly about the Father. Jesus is leaving. Jesus is coming again. And because of that, the disciples will have direct direct access to the Father on that day. The disciples will know God plainly, the Father, and the disciples will be able to speak to God the Father directly. And be free, when we read this passage, we have to recognize this one truth more than everything else. Today is that day. Today is the day that we can have direct access to the Father. Today is the day that we can speak directly to God the Father. Today is the day that we can know God the Father directly. All because Jesus Christ died and rose again. All because of that, we can have direct access to the Father. If we trust in Him, we can speak to Him, we can know Him, we can have relationship with Him. By faith in Jesus' work on the cross, our sins are remembered no more. The wall between us and God falls, the curtain is torn, and we can know Him, and we can speak to Him. We even, we even sang about that truth a little bit earlier today. And that means, from what this passage is saying, that we can ask of God, We can speak and pray to God and trust that he hears our prayers and will answer our prayers. It doesn't mean that God is a genie. It doesn't mean that God will do whatever we ask him to do. God will still only do that which he wills and wants to do in his world. He is still supreme, but he hears and he uses our prayers to accomplish his purposes. And what's the result of all this? The amazing thing is this word keeps showing up over and over and over again throughout this passage. And that word is joy. The result of this intimacy, the result of his victory over sin, is that we will receive the joy of God. I mean, this is showing up all over the upper room. That we get to share in his life and his love and his joy. We saw that about three weeks ago. But joy, joy, joy of having that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 24 says, it will be full. And so this is the big idea of this passage. This is the central truth. That because Jesus died and rose again, we can have direct access to the Father. But there are four verses left. And I think that those four verses really help us bring this truth down to earth a little bit. Because now the disciples pipe up. Again, the disciples speak and they don't do much better the second time than they did the first time. 
In fact, I think they do three times worse the second time than they do the first time. Let me read verse 29 through 33. You'll see what I mean. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need to question... And, sorry, and... Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to your own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So three things about the disciples here. Three things we need to see. And the first one is this. The disciples thought they understood, but they didn't. The disciples thought they understood what Jesus was saying. They thought he was speaking clearly and that they were able to understand, decipher all of it. But in truth, they were wrong. They start by saying, ah, now we get it. Now we see what you're saying. But then they prove that they don't get it. Because Jesus said in verse 25 that the hour is coming when he will be able to speak clearly to them. He doesn't say it's yet here. He also says that on that day they will be able to understand. But it's not that day yet. In this moment, for the disciples, Jesus hasn't died and risen again. They do not understand. The wall is not torn down. And if we need any more proof of that, any more proof that they don't really understand what Jesus is saying, all we have to do is remember what comes later. That when Jesus does die, they scatter. They don't understand what Jesus is doing yet. Not fully. They're starting to. But they do not understand. The author, uh, D.A. Carson, he, he speaks about this verse. And this is a, a wonderful quote. He says... No misunderstanding is more pathetic than that which thinks it no longer exists. No misunderstanding is more pathetic than that which thinks it no longer exists. In other words, they are ignorant of their ignorance. They think they know, but they do not understand. And so that's the first thing we have to understand about the disciples here. They think they understand, but they didn't. Secondly, more quickly... Their faith is still quite frail. The disciples do have a true faith. We know that because Jesus made that clear before, even in just the way that he speaks to them. He talks about the fact that they will follow him to the Father. In chapter 13, chapter 14, he says that he will come back to get them. So it seems that they do have a true faith, but their faith is still quite frail. We see that even just in the, ha- in the way that they bend and flex with every breeze. Every word that Jesus speaks, they're just whipped back and forth. They've yet to really mature, to really put their roots down deep and be strong in the Lord. We see this most clearly in verse 30, where they say this, Now we know all things, sorry, now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answers them, do you now believe? The point being, they're still working this out. They're still looking for evidence. It's still not mature, uh, long last, or a, a strong faith. And while that faith doesn't ever fully shatter, we do see in the next couple chapters that it is still quite frail. They still do get tossed to and fro with every wave. And that's the third thing. 
They don't understand. They have a frail faith. And number three, they are about to fall. This is verse 32. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. The disciples don't understand. Their faith is frail, and they're about to fall. Those are the three things we see in this passage about the disciples. They're confused, they're weak, and they're mere hours away from failure. And these are the men who are about to become the fathers of the church. These are the men who are about to lead the charge into the darkness. These are the men who would take up the mantle of spreading God's kingdom after Jesus has ascended back into heaven. And they are a group of confused and weak and soon-to-be failures. And what I love about this passage is that we can see two things very clearly on display. We can see, number one, a description of God's amazing and undeserved love and sacrifice for the people of this planet. We get to see a picture of what Jesus did for the sake of relationship with us. And then at the exact same time, we get to see a picture of how deeply unflattering we are. We get to see a picture of people who still don't quite get it. And we get to remember that even though they were confused, weak, and soon-to-be failures, God loved them. We get to remember that even though they were confused, weak, failures, God gave direct access to himself, to them. That they were loved by the Father, that they were saved by the Son, that they would be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. What I love about this passage is that even though the disciples' faith is about to shudder and shake and look like it's about to fall, the victory has already been won. They do not fall because it is not dependent upon their strength but the strength of the one who saved. We see this so clearly in verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have troubles, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus died and rose again so that we, though we can be weak, though we are weak, though we can be confused, Though we can fail, we can still have access to God the Father. Jesus died and rose again so that based upon his faithfulness, not ours, we can continue to speak with God and know him plainly. Let me back up. We we need to be faithful. I didn't mean to tear that down. God will be faithful. That's the point. But now I'm speaking to you in in this room if you have ever been confused, weak, and frail. I'm talking to you in this room if you're like me and you are imperfect. You are in transition. You have still yet to kill all the sin in your life. I'm talking to people in this room who have sinned, who are broken. I'm talking to people who are burdened by guilt. I'm talking to people who are holding on to their shame. I'm talking to people who are constantly aware of their imperfections. I'm talking to people who know that they have made poor decisions in their life and regret it. I'm talking to people who know they have made bad choices in their life and are aware of that now. And I'm talking to people who feel like they are unworthy of being loved like me. The message that I have for you from this passage is this. Jesus died 
for people like you. The Father sent the Son into the world because He loved you. He sent His Son into the world because He wanted a relationship with you. He wanted the wall to be torn down between Him and you. And the amazing thing is that last week we saw this so incredibly clearly that we are so much more sinful than we could have ever imagined. But what we see this week more clearly than anywhere else in this upper room conversation is that we are also far more loved than we could have ever dreamed. I'm quoting that from from Tim Keller here. He talks a lot about this. But this is the foundation of the gospel, the foundational understanding that we have to understand if we're going to understand the beauty of the gospel. We are worse than we think, and we are far more loved than we could ever imagine and we could ever dream. And today we get to focus on this love for just a moment because this love is so incredibly radical that sometimes we don't believe it. Sometimes we know it's true, but we don't actually act like it's true. And one way that I think that we do this is that when we sin, we tend to withdraw into the shadows with our shame. We tend to take our sin and go hide in the darkness, running away from the light. And the truth is, we all do this to some degree, Christians and non-Christians. So I'm speaking directly to non-Christians right now. With the sin and the shame and the guilt you have in your life. Jesus Christ is calling out to you and he is speaking this message to you. Do not withdraw. Draw near. Do not withdraw from me. Draw close to me. He wants to give you the love that he came into the world to give you. He knows you're imperfect. He knows that you have sinned. He knows you have shame. He will not be surprised by those things. He is hungry and excited and ready to offer you the forgiveness that comes in his name. The question is, will you receive it? Will you come to him? Run into the arms of the king of light. He is ready to receive you. But if you are a believer, if you do trust in Jesus Christ... The likelihood is that you still have sins in your life that you still tend to hold on to. You still tend to keep in your back pocket. Sins that are still yet to fully be killed and destroyed. And if that's you, and it is, and I know it because it's me as well, then the message is exactly the same. Do not withdraw from Christ. Draw near to Christ. Draw near so that he can bring your sin into the light. So that he can give you his love, the love that he came to give. He will forgive you, and we know this because he already has. And he will fight along with you by your side to help kill and destroy the sin that has its grip on you. Jesus died and rose again so that we, confused, weak, and broken people, can have direct access to God the Father. All we have to do is trust him and surrender to his leading in our lives. Be free, will you pray?